Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Change. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, March 5th, 2010. This week, episode 158 comes to you from Studio B in beautiful Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes of Radio Joe. Great to be back in the studio with the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Yeah, we were worried about that empty chair, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I was stuck on the mountain for about a month now. Anyhow, we also have... Uh, Environmental Annie Koalecki taking care of the controls. Hey, Welcome. Joe. Thank great to be back here, Annie. And uh, today's segments will include the microband trivia question. We've got Mr. John Schulte, NADCA's executive director, and Tim Hoysert of Twins Environmental, the NADCA treasurer. So, NADCA, before the uh, acronym Police Get Me, is the National Air Duct Cleaners Association. We'll have halftime with our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. And then we'll have the roundup at the end of the day. We've been updating and adding a blog to the IAQ Radio website every week after the show. I highly recommend checking out Cliff's blog, by the way. He captures some really good stuff at the end of every show, and it's on www.iaqradio.com. Before we get started, let's thank our sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Okay, everybody seems to be figuring out how to contact the show. Most people just log in at the www.iaqradio.com website. You can also download the show from our archives uh, at www.iaqradio.com or from iTunes. You can also call if you want, 724-444-7444 is our number, and the show ID is 1547. Don't forget, we also have those ABIH certification maintenance points, IICRC continuing education credits, or ACAC renewal credits, just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. Our email addresses are both on the homepage of IAQ Radio as well. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let me turn it over to the Z-Man for today's microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Congratulations to John Lapotier of Microshield Environmental Services in Florida for identifying Theron G. Randolph as the allergist who in the 1940s developed the underlying concept that people could become ill from exposures to substances at doses far lower than levels considered safe. Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question. 
Submitting your answer is easy. Simply email it to cliffz at prorestoreproducts.com. Now for the microband trivia question for Friday, March 5th, 2010. Name the firm widely credited with introducing the forced air furnace in 1935. Back to you, Joe. All right, Cliff. By the way, what's uh, what's John's prize? Are we uh, did we figure that out yet? Oh yeah, we're he's collecting all sorts of legends uh, points. Legends points. Yeah, so he can cash he's them in for whatever Lydia, he wants. Absolutely. Uh, all right. He has a catalog great, and he's accumulating. Great. Hey, get those free legends points. Answer the trivia question. All right. Today's guests. Uh, do we have? Do we do the intro music first? I think we've got some nice intro music for our guests. two guys that help give uh, a lot of people clean air on the show this week. John Schulte. John, for the past five years, has been the executive director of the National Air Duct Cleaners Association. They are an international trade association representing roughly 1,000 HVAC inspection, maintenance, and restoration contractors in 30 countries around the world. Before that, John was the technical and apprenticeship director at the Plumbing, Heating, Cooling Contractors National Association and was responsible for training and administration of the National Standard Plumbing Code. He's also served as the executive director for the Association of Water Technologies as an international trade, which is an international trade association representing specialty chemical companies specializing in commercial and industrial boiler and cooling water treatment. So he's got a a long history of association management and association work. He was born in Louisiana, got a Bachelor of Science degree in management from the University of New Orleans. And uh, John is also, uh, he likes to fish boat, and he does one of my favorite things, too, happy hour. Uh, All right, Cliff. Uh, Our second guest uh, this morning is uh, Tim Hoysert. Mr. Hoysert's president of Twins LLC, an environmental company in Waynesboro, Virginia. He has over 30 years of experience in the HVAC and air duct cleaning business. Tim serves as a board member of the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, or NADCA. His scope of experience includes a four-year degree in environmental controls, a master license in mechanical construction in the state of Virginia. He is a air system cleaning specialist known as ACAS, a certified ventilation inspector, and a council certified CEI or CIEC and CMR. All right, let's see if we've got the guys on the line. Hello, John. Hello, John. I'm here. Thanks All a lot right. for having us, Joe. Hey, welcome, John. Tim, do we have you on the line? I'm still here. Excellent. Okay, gentlemen, we got it. Got all your introductions done. We've got uh, you know all the all the preliminaries out of the way. Let's get to some questions here. It's great to have both of you on the show. We're really happy to have the NADCA people here, and um, I guess let's start off with uh, EPA. <laughs> I guess uh, we're going to start with EPA, one of Cliff's favorite subjects here. We, we've talked a lot over the years about EPA and um, the antimicrobials division and their approvals for. Uh, products and and I know um, not too long ago John and I talked about this uh, a little bit yesterday before the show um, they've made some changes over the past I guess seven or eight years John would you kind of summarize for our listeners where we were and where we are now uh, sure uh, and I'm you know as far as the timing I, I can't really come on comment on that because uh, I've only been dealing with some of these issues since I've been with NADCA uh, which goes back to January of 2005. Uh, but basically, the EPA registers antimicrobial products. Uh, that's their responsibility. 
And at some point, the uh, the EPA came up with a listing of products that were specifically registered for use in HVAC systems. Uh, this is this list is available through uh, EPA and ballpark. There's probably about a dozen products on there. Uh, and, you know, it used to be years ago where there were sanitizers and disinfectants on there as well as deodorizers and other categories of chemicals. Um, and probably, I don't know, within the last couple of years, I'd say there there are no more sanitizers uh, or disinfectants that are approved for HVAC use by the EPA. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's probably the big change. Um, I know a lot of people listening now, May, may be sitting there thinking to themselves, well, how can that be when I, when I look around the industry, when I look on websites, whether it's a manufacturer or uh, a company that's providing air duct cleaning services, I still see a lot of, a lot of companies advertising, sanitizing, and disinfecting. And uh, I guess, you know, my comment to that is there's just a lot of confusion in the marketplace. So uh, that's kind of where we are. Well, that, and let's make sure we have the right wording too. You, I, I think you meant registered for use, right? They don't approve. Register. They, they register them now. What you know, Cliff the Z-Man here. He's a big. Uh, he's very familiar with antimicrobials and disinfectants and sanitizers. What what makes you say there there are none registered for use in HVAC systems? Is it because of the way the list is written up, or is it are they registered for some other? I mean, obviously, you can still use certain products in HVAC systems, but are you saying they're not registered for those two things, sanitizing and disinfecting? That's, that's exactly right. The, uh, the, whole, the whole category of sanitizers and disinfectant, when you start categorizing chemicals, I think that's where the that's where the confusion starts to come in. Uh, a product that is categorized as a sanitizer for general use uh, outside of an HVAC system, say just to clean off a countertop somewhere, um, that same product is not categorized as a sanitizer when you start looking at using it in an HVAC system. Uh, so, you know, when you when you use those terms, you have to you have to look at the the, the product. And the use—it's not just based on the product. Okay, Cliff. Well, I can add a couple of things. Typically, uh, is you know, building on what John said, there are, is a EPA standard uh, for what's considered a sanitizing product, and typically they are used on hard uh, surfaces, countertops. Uh, they're used a lot in, in food surfaces and so on and so forth. And typically, you've got I think three or four organisms that you need to kill. Uh, you need to kill 99.9% of them, and it's a one-log reduction, and you need to generally do that in 60 seconds. So the fact that you can do this on a countertop doesn't mean that you can do it in a, in a duct system. Generally, to get disinfecting, it's going to be a, a, a two-log. So you need it's 99.99. That generally takes five minutes uh, contact or, or 10 minutes contact. And okay. again, that's on a hard surface and a lot of these you know you can have products that'll clean and sanitize at the same time and clean and disinfect at the same time and in certain ductwork we have certain limitations about being able to physically get in there so so spraying something on or fogging something into the system is a little bit different than thoroughly cleaning it and having these adequate contact times i see okay Tim, did you want to add anything here? No, we're good. Okay. <laughs> Typically, you're a little more outspoken than that, Tim, but that's all right. Well, you know, from my standpoint, we don't use anything like that in mechanical systems, only because in the last five to seven years, we have noticed more and more people having chemical sensitivity to just about anything. And from a liability standpoint, we pretty much stopped doing it. Uh, because anymore, you never know when you're dealing with a lawyer. Okay, but you still clean systems. I mean, we you, still clean them, but we don't spray anything in them anymore. Okay, all right, very good. Now, there's another document that oftentimes comes up um, from the EPA webpage. It's called "Should You Have the Air Ducts in Your Home Cleaned?" and um, I understand, John. I did not get a chance to look at it. I, I wish I would have yesterday. I understand it has changed at least the 
the year of uh, uh, distribution has changed, but not much else has. Can you tell us a little bit more about that document? Yeah, the uh, years ago, uh, this goes back to uh, 1987. In in October of 87, uh, I'm sorry, 97, the EPA published a document that you can access on the internet. Excuse me, it's uh, it's titled "Should You Have the Air Ducts in Your Home Cleaned?" And uh, there's there's a lot of information there for consumers who really are looking for some guidance uh, on air duct cleaning, and. The, the gist of the document is that unless there's uh, either visible mold growth um, or uh, what to say dust and vermin heavily contaminated, uh, you know, then that's when you'd want to consider having your air ducts cleaned, which is consistent with NADCA's position, by the way. You only clean the air ducts if they're dirty. Um, and then beyond that, they go into, you know, what you should look for if you're going to if you're going to have your air ducts clean, including, you know, working with a NADCA member and having a, having your system cleaned in accordance with NADCA standards. There's a, there's a checklist uh, that the EPA publishes in conjunction with that document. Uh, you know, I will tell you that, the, you know, a lot of the members of the association, uh, they have a negative view of this document only because of the tone. But if you really get past the tone and look at what it's saying, you know, there's, there's some good information there. I think that's a great comment, and I also um, found it interesting when we, we spoke the other day that a lot of times the first thing that happens after they read that document is they go to your website. That that just blew me away. I thought, well, that's a great document for NADCA, I guess. Well, Cliff? I, I, I want to jump back and uh, talk about something that Tim mentioned before and okay. he said that you know we don't use his company does made this decision not to use um uh, products you know chemical products and air handling systems because of chemical sensitivities and you know we have these sensitivities inside buildings all the time and you know people smell something and then all of a sudden they think it's the chemical that they're reacting to and i think as we learn more and more about dust and what's being carried on that dust and what's in that dust i think the bottom line is i think the epa is going to change their position on that document because dust is bad dust is unhealthy and I also have a negative view of the document because I, I think that it says it's not needed, and I think in many situations it is needed, and I've seen many people get an improvement in their life uh, after the HVAC system has, has been cleaned and, and, uh, and serviced. You know, I, I'd like to go back to that for a minute, too. Tim, I'm curious, when you have coils that, you know, aren't cleaning up as, as well as you would like with just... Uh, contact vacuuming or maybe a little air pressure. Do you ever use any kind of a, a cleaner, for instance, or uh, something that would help you with the cleaning of the coils? Yes. When you're talking about the air handler, it's a different animal versus the ductwork. Okay. okay. It's the ductwork that we don't spray a disinfectant or sanitizer in. When it comes to the air handler, yes, we use coil cleaning products to clean the coil. Gotcha. Everything, yeah. And, you know, we use specific coil cleaning products uh, by, you know, different manufacturers. So we're not deviating using something onto it that we shouldn't be. Okay. Now, as far as this uh, issue goes, and, and I don't want to spend the whole interview on this, but we get a lot of questions about it. The next issue that comes up is, do you have to be licensed to apply? You know, because like you said, you know, John, I thought you brought up a, a great uh, a great point. A lot of people still advertise that they sanitize ducts or disinfect ducts and HVAC systems. Hopefully they'll change that wording. But they're, they're still going to use these products oftentimes, and they may be using them to help deodorize the system or to help clean the system in other ways. When they do so, and if they're using something that's registered by EPA, what type of licensing requirements have you found around the country? Because I, as I understand it, that's a state-by-state -state licensing issue. Absolutely. Uh, and to be honest, you know, when you, when you talk about licensing in general, uh, because it's a, it's a state issue, uh, the, the requirements and the, the details are all over the map. Um, there, are, there are at least some states where you are required to have a license if you're going to apply any type of, uh, 
antimicrobial product uh, commercially. Uh, Michigan, for example, I, I know there's a license requirement in Michigan, uh, but even even some of the other states where uh, they they have licensing requirements, it, it it just is very difficult, quite frankly, to figure out what the requirement is and whether or not it applies to these products. Uh, we actually we actually reported on this sometime last year. We we thought we had plain clear information from the state of New Jersey, for example, uh, and you can you know I'm sure it it hasn't changed on their website, but it basically said if you're going to commercially apply these products. Then you had to you had to be licensed and period. And after we had recommended to our members to get licensed, we found that well, in fact, there are provisions or loopholes in New Jersey. If if a product's registered specifically for New Jersey um, as a general use product, then you do not have to be licensed. So uh, that's an example, basically. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, the place to check in most states is going to be at the Department of Agriculture. Uh, in, in some form or another. Usually these are considered uh, under the broader heading of agricultural pesticides, these, these antimicrobial products. So that's why it's regulated there. But the best, I guess the best information we can provide is to tell people if you're going to be using these products, if you're going to be selling them, applying them, uh, check with your state. You know, to pick up on this, on this licensing issue, um, don't some states require HVAC system cleaners to be licensed, or if they have to cut into the system, uh, a license is required for that. Can you comment on that? Absolutely. We did a survey of the state licensing requirements for HVAC contractors in 2008, and based on based on what we found, uh, roughly 25 states across the country have some form of an HVAC contractor's license, and you know, again, licensing requirements vary by state, but in general, uh, you know, when, whenever you look at one of these licenses, it, it, it has a provision in there that says if you're modifying the system, if you're altering it, repairing it, servicing it, they give you a big list of things. If you're doing those things, you have to be licensed. And the long and the short of it is um, air duct cleaning, because you have to cut the access and do certain things to alter the system, air duct cleaning does fall within the purview of at least the ones I've seen, all of these HVAC license requirements. You gave me a great segue there. Thank you, John. Okay. You, you said that HVAC cleaning, you have to cut access panels to do it. I would like to ask your opinion on this statement. HVAC cleaning, you have to cut access panels to do it in accordance with the NADCA standards. Would that be more accurate to say? I would say you often have to do it. There okay. may be times where you don't have to cut. Um, Tim probably would be in a better position to talk about this. But in general, if you're if you're in this business, eventually you're going to have to you're going to have to cut. Gotcha, gotcha. Because there's ways I guess people go without cutting, and maybe that's one of the reasons is to try and avoid having to be licensed. But if the way I look at the standard you have right now, it's got to be pretty tough to go through more than a couple jobs without eventually cutting into a system. Tim, do you have any comment on that? About, I would say 90, 97% you have to cut access. Okay. And also, too, in relation to licensing, something else is coming up in a lot of states now. When you're dealing with antimicrobials, you're dealing with mold. Now, a lot of states now are starting to come out with mold licensing. And if you're dealing with mold, according to some of them, even if it's in a mechanical system, you're also going to have to have a mold license. That's a great point, Tim. We've got, uh, what is it, Texas, Louisiana already have laws yeah. in place. Uh, Florida is pending. We're trying to get the Florida uh, House representative on to discuss that bill. It's right around the corner of the licensing. Um, your state, Virginia, is yes, licensing. Maryland, so uh, Arkansas has got a little something. It uh, seems to be quite a trend, and you're correct. If you're going to disturb it within the system, you're also going to have that mold license as well. That's a, Correct. Uh, a great uh, a great comment. Now, there's a couple of comments we've had uh, texted in, and um, I don't know if 
let's see, are we ever going to see these chemicals change from pesticides? I think I'd rather refer that to the Z-Man. What do you think, Cliff? I, I think that it's an improper classification, but it's there. And, you know, as John said, this started with agricultural. And the FIFRA, Federal Insecticide Fungicide Rodenticide Act, the fungicide that's in there was agricultural fungicide that was applied outside to crops, not the antimicrobials that we use inside for cleaning and disinfecting. But they all got lumped together. The pesticide uh, word's in there. You can thank uh, Pennsylvania native Rachel Carson for that. Uh, <laughs> I, I can predict that it ain't going to get any better. Uh, you know, it's going to get a whole lot worse. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's keep rolling, guys. Listen, the next uh, big topic, and we kind of just dropped these into big topics. The first one was what's happening with EPA, both in respect to the antimicrobials issue and the document they have. We've covered that. Let's talk a little bit about what's happening at NADCA. For instance, you guys have a really well-known standard, the NADCA ACR Assessment Cleaning and Restoration 2006. I believe that's what the third or fourth version of that standard, well-known standard, oftentimes referenced standard. Um, any plans for any changes to that standard, revisions to that standard? Can you guys update us a little on what's happening there? Absolutely. Uh, we've been we've been working on updating our standard, uh, looking at it probably as far back as when this the the current edition was first published. You know, there there's always opportunities to do things better. So we've been looking at this, and I would say at this point we're at the the tail end of uh, publishing the next the next generation of NADCA standards. Uh, we're pretty excited about this. We think we think this next next version is going to go a long way to uh, helping members, uh, you know, really do an efficient job of cleaning HVAC systems. Uh, we think the new standard is going to be easy to understand and probably as big as anything else, uh, make sure you're in compliance with it. And at this point, it looks like the new standard is going to be published. Uh, our target right now is the end of November for, for this year. Um, we, were we were initially uh, pursuing ANSI approval for this standard, and we uh, at this point we're going to we're going to withdraw our notice uh, from ANSI, at least for now, and we're just going to go ahead and publish this document as a non-ANSI-approved document. Um, and at the same time, we're also going to try to work with some of the other industry associations, uh, specifically ASHRAE, ACA, and IAQA, to see if we have some opportunities to jointly develop uh, one ANSI standard uh, for this industry. So uh, a lot of this stuff is just, you know, kind of happening as we speak. Um, it's, it's kind of exciting for us, actually. We're really pumped up about this new standard. Well, it's exciting for us to be able to, uh, I don't think this has been announced publicly anywhere until today, unless I missed some announcements somewhere along the way. Uh, absolutely. This, this just happened. Uh, some of these decisions were made within the last 10 days. So we, we haven't even had time to tell our members what we're doing yet. We'll, we'll do a formal announcement at, uh, at our annual meeting in a few weeks, but uh, a lot of big stuff going on. Excellent. Thank you, John. John I've got a, a series of uh, short questions uh, in, re in, regards to, uh, in regards to the standards. Uh, number one, um, how do people obtain the standard? Uh, well, the current edition, the ACR 2006 standard, is available for free download off of NACA's website. Uh, www.nadca.com, look under publications, and then look under standards and guidelines. Uh, for somebody who wants a hard copy, they can purchase that from NADCA, again, via our e-commerce system on our website. Uh, I think they sell for $25, something like that. We also uh, we give away copies of the standards at selected trade shows where we exhibit, including the IAQA ACA show coming up and, uh, and our own show. Um, so they're pretty easy to get if you're looking for a copy. Okay. Well, no, I, I think the fact that you have it for free on the Internet, I think the fact uh, – how long is the standard? How many pages in it? Uh, if you add in the guideline, you're something – you're looking at you know, roughly 40 pages. Okay. All right. Would you say in writing standards that less is more 
or more is less. Like if I had a standard that was 300 pages long, I mean, do you think it takes 300 pages? To... <laughs> uh, it's funny you mention that. We, uh, you know, the the first Matka standard was published in 1992. That was that was the first standard for this industry worldwide, uh, and that was a that was a landmark. Uh, program, you know, when when we first published that thing, you know, a lot of people are still proud of that fact, and we like, you know, like Joe said, we've updated it many times since then, uh, and over the years, I think if you look, you'll see that the standard got progressively longer, and you know, when we when we started on this most recent update that we're working on now, we looked at it and said, look, you know, we we've got so many things in here that in some cases it's difficult to understand what's required, so. You know, I mean, we've got some really talented guys working on this thing. We've got a, a great committee. It's almost like a, you know, a dream team of, of standards developers and industry experts. And when, when it's all said and done, the, the current draft, just the standard, is roughly two pages. It's a, it's a 10-point standard. And, uh, you know, when I say a 10-point standard, one point could consist of two or three sentences. Right. It's... Uh, it's you know it's pretty straightforward and then you know in addition to the the standard we're going to have a uh, very comprehensive guideline that explains the standard makes it clear what's required and the other big development for us is the inclusion of something we're calling guide forms uh think of it almost as a as a checklist that you can take your process for cleaning uh or restoring an HVAC system and have a step-by-step list of all the things that need to get done uh, in order to meet the standard. So from a quality control standpoint, we believe this is just going to elevate the performance of the industry as a whole. Uh, quite frankly, if, if I was in this business myself, I'd be looking to build my business around this, this standard. John, we're at halftime. Before I before we do that, we're going to come back to this issue. I want to make sure the person who texted the uh, question in, we will get to that after halftime. But I just wanted to kind of summarize. So you've got this two-page, 10-point, did you say 10-point standard? That's correct. Okay, two-page, 10-point standard. But the, the beauty of it is it ties into a process um, that includes a one-page or one-document um, checklist that gives you kind of an overview of an HVAC cleaning project. You look at that, you determine, okay, which of these things on this first stage are we going to need to do on this job? And then there are additional, what I'll call details, if you do... A, B, C, and D, then you go to the details for A, B, C, and D, but you don't need E, F, and G. Does that kind of summarize things a little bit with respect to how this new standard is going to be? I, I think you're close. Let me uh, let me just uh, try and characterize it just a little differently. Okay. If you can imagine a 10-point standard, you know, say 10 paragraphs, um, each one of those paragraphs will have its own chapter within the guideline section. Mm -hmm. So standard requirement number one will have guideline section number one. And that guideline section one will tell you pretty much what you need to know about uh, the requirement and the standard. Moving on from there, uh, within, you know, requirement number one, this, this, uh, this checklist could include three or four items, or it may include, include 15 or 20 items. Uh, and each, each requirement has its own, its own guideline section, and its own checklist. So, you know, the the standard gives you the requirements, and the guideline says here's some here's some different ways you can meet those requirements, and here's what you need to know so you understand them. And then the checklist is a starting point for an HVAC cleaning contractor to go in and say, okay, for any given project, here's here are the things you know here's the big list of things, and from this, you know, which ones of these do you know which ones of the which of these requirements uh, apply and which of them don't. So it's almost like you can you can customize this checklist internally within your company, either you know uh, for how your company wants to operate or for what your customer is looking for. So, so in essence, you are developing a process because, as as we know in the education business, it's not people that fail; it's processes that fail. 
and uh, in general. I mean, it, would that be accurate to say? I would say the the standard itself is a performance document. Okay. And the the guideline and the the check forms are there to help you put together your process for how you want to meet those requirements. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, John. We're going to halftime with our uh, technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, and we will bring you right back. We're delighted to have as our first association sponsor the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary group dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. Now, thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Pro Restore for cleaning, odor removal, and antimicrobial products and equipment remediators trust and depend on. Visit them at prorestoreproducts.com. And, of course, our primary sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, subscriptions, and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry's Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry's is first in drying solutions. Learn about them at dri-eaz.com. And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at jondon.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn more at legends-enviro.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their products and services. Good day, Dr. Dieter. Are you on the line? Yes, I am. Good good day, everybody. Good day. Any comments or questions from the first half, Dieter? Uh, Well, absolutely. I, I think there were a couple of excellent, excellent points were being made. And first, for the you know, Air Duct Cleaning Association, the standards are available. You can get them for free. Don't tell me I didn't have the money to buy it. And I remember, and Joe remembers, I have worked with Tim uh, for several years, and all of our students would know how to get the standard for free. Said, so here it is, guys. You know, read the damn thing before you screw up. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that that was uh, a, a, an excellent thing. I said, hey, we are not working here in the dark. We are working for you. We are not working for a committee that sits together and then we hope for the best. No, it's out there. And it's being updated. And that is fine with inputs from people who use that. I think another excellent, excellent remark was made by uh, Cliff. Uh, You see, (laughs) when we started the fungicides, they had, uh, this was in 1930-something when FIFRA, the Federal Insecticide and so on, Act was uh, uh, passed. And that was, I think, in the 30s. 46, I think. was it, or maybe 40s. I mean, it's, it's 60 years ago or something like that. Or if I go by my age, about 70 years ago. <laughs> um, but those, those regu- or guidelines and regulations were for outside, for outside applications. And whatever you do on the outside on a field which is, you know, away from every house or community... That is a different animal than if you spray it into an air conditioning system. I mean, this is yeah, probably the worst thing you can do. And um, I uh, have investigated through the years at, uh, horrendous screw-ups where somebody came and said, look, if you cough in your house or you sneeze, we just put this one into your air duct and somebody sprayed something in there. Heaven knows what it was. That didn't do it. Then somebody else came and I said, hey, I spray in that and I spray in that and I spray in that. All of a sudden you have a chemical cocktail in your house that even I couldn't stand. Uh, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, what did we learn from it? If you, if you hire somebody to clean your air ducts, 
don't I have nothing against the guy who wants to do it for forty nine ninety five plus tax. Um but you ought to hire somebody who knows what he is doing, who has the experience and certainly doesn't say, Hey, I sanitize or disinfect your uh, system by uh, spraying in this wonderful chemical that will kill everything, including your kids and fish. And, <laughs> you and got to so, clean it, right, so, Peter? You got to clean it. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and here's another thing, and this is just a comment. I uh, exchanged my, or I replaced my uh, furnace last year, and another one you know, came in, which was about half the size and three times as efficient. And, you know, I, I was with horror down there, and I said, I wonder what my duct uh, looks like in there. But I was surprised how clean it was. It was the first time. You know, I never took the plenum off and looked to the left and to the right in there. It's amazing uh, how the supply duct was clean. In the return uh, duct, I had a little bit of a problem and I think that had something to do with the transport velocity of dirt. If the transport velocity is not very high, you have the possibility of it settling out and uh, maybe making a mess. But it, that, even that wasn't bad. And that was a house, uh, uh, I'd say about 35 years old. That, uh, uh, the old furnace was about 35 years old. So even if you, if you change filters and take care of it, I, I think there is, you know, you, you, you can avoid having um, in a normal residential home, do it. you really need to have somebody come in. Now, Tim can tell you uh, stories, and I have seen them in, <laughs> just recently in commercial buildings uh, where there is no maintenance, and whatever maintenance there is, these guys aren't certified. They really don't know what they're doing. They're trying to do a good job, but, yeah, uh, they're screwing up uh, inadvertently. They don't do that on purpose. They just don't know any better. So I think that is, again, where the association comes in and says, hey, we are writing regulations that can be understood by people who are working on this, get their hands dirty and are on their knees and uh, make a living that way. And they will understand the standard. And I think that is a wonderful standard in that respect. All right. Well, thank you, Dieter. And we'll talk to you again at the end of the show. Okay, let's move back to uh, John and Tim. We were talking standards, and um, it's it's great to know that you know NADCA is going to put out a new standard here. And I was also interested in hearing you say that you're looking at working together with other groups like the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, the uh, Association of, or, or let's see, ASHRAE, American Society of Heating, Refrigerating, and Air Conditioning Engineers, and the Indoor Air Quality Association. And that led me to a thought, um, John, does the new standard help with people or did you try and design it in a way that it will help tie into the new ASHRAE 180 standard, which for those that aren't familiar with it is for maintenance and uh, restoration, or mo mostly for maintenance, I guess, and uh, operations of HVAC systems in commercial buildings. Yeah, I think, uh, and that's, a, that's an excellent tie-in. Uh, the uh, the ASHRAE ACA ANSI Standard 180 deals with inspection and maintenance of HVAC systems. And quite frankly, that's one of the most exciting things to happen to the industry in a long time. The, uh, the, the, this new standard basically puts the, the onus, the responsibility for inspecting and maintaining an H, a commercial HVAC system on either the building owner or the building owner's agent. And... Once, once they inspect it, um, you know, as, as Dieter was saying, I, I think you're going to find that uh, a lot of these systems are dirty and they haven't been maintained. Um, I will tell you there's a, there's a provision uh, that's up for consideration now. Uh, in the 2012 International Mechanical Code, they're considering adding a requirement uh, that basically says buildings must be inspected and maintained in accordance with this 180 standard. Um, it also requires that the systems be operated in a safe and sanitary manner, 
and it gives the, the building inspector the authority to order a reinspection if, if he feels it's needed. So uh, I believe, you know, the way these standards work together, the, the ASHRAE ACA ANSI standard 180 requires inspection and maintenance, and then NADCA standard talks about how to clean the system and restore it once, once you find that that's necessary. Okay, we've got a text question from a listener here, and it says, will this new standard include partial system cleaning in place of full system cleaning? And I, I can't clarify for you exactly what they mean, but I think I understand. So in other words, can you just clean the ducts and not touch the air handling unit? I, I assume that's what they're getting at, but uh, maybe you have a different take on it. Uh, no, you're correct. That's, that's the nature of the question. One of, the, one of the things we found after we published the ACR 2006 standard, which says you have to clean the entire system, uh, we found that, you know, by and large, there are many, many projects out there where uh, building owners only want to clean part of the system for whatever reason. Maybe, you know, maybe they have uh, a new section of ductwork uh, or they have a new unit and they don't want to have to clean that unit, like a brand-new install, for example, uh, if it doesn't need to be cleaned, but they realize the rest of the system has to be cleaned. So the, the new standard basically requires that the, uh, the, the contractor, the cleaning contractor, and the customer determine what components are going to be cleaned, what sections of the system are going to be cleaned, and from there, um, everything within either that section or that component has to be cleaned. So the the standard gives some flexibility to the industry to really adapt uh, to the way business is being done, quite frankly. Uh, so that we think that's a, an added benefit to the, to the new standard. Okay. Tim, do you have any comments on that? No, I think it's great because even on commercial applications, sometimes they only want you to do a certain part of it. And it's going to allow us to be more than happy to, to do that and still meet our standards. So it gives you some flexibility that you may not feel you have right now, I guess. Right. And it all, and it benefits the building owner. Say due to budget reasons, they can only afford to do one section one month or one section another month. Got so, it. you know, it's working with the, the building owner and the customer a, lo a lot better. Sounds like NADC is taking, uh, getting feedback and taking it into consideration and making the changes based on the feedback. That's great. Yeah. That's the way we should be doing things, huh? Z-Man, I know you've got a list of them there. I'm going to give you a couple. Okay. Um, <laughs> I guess first, um, is NADCA, or, or, or how important would NADCA feel that equipment is to proper HVAC system cleaning? I mean, cleaning equipment. Are you talking the equipment needed to clean, right? Yes. Yeah, the equipment needed to it, do the cleaning. It's it's very important. Um, for your equipment, you need to know what type of ductwork, location of ductwork, size of ductwork. So you have to do a survey of, <clears throat> excuse me, the job, and based on that, you go to work, you know your supplier or if you already have your warehouse, and pick the equipment needed to perform the cleaning on that job. Not all there is no generic equipment that cleans everything. You know, everything is, your equipment is based on what you need. Okay, is NADCA concerned by attempts to adapt or modify carpet cleaning equipment for use to clean HVAC systems? Um, we haven't, per se, made a, a, an attempt to say yes or no. Um I know the equipment you're talking about, and there is applications that it can be used on. There again, depends on the ductwork, depends on location, type. And Cliff, if I could just uh, add on to what Tim's saying, NADCA's, you know, NADCA's position on equipment historically has been that, you know, when it's all said and done, the equipment is basically just a tool. It's a, a means to an end. And uh, just like any other tool, you can, you can apply it properly meaning, you know, using it correctly and in the correct application, and it can be helpful. But if you either apply it in the wrong application or you don't do things correctly, then it could be a problem. So 
you know, it would be very difficult for an association to evaluate all the different, you know, ways that the equipment could be used and when it should be used. We, we teach our members how to do these things in our training, and we get into that in detail. But, uh, you know, our, our position is not to focus so heavily on the, the equipment as, as much as we'd like to just focus on good results. Okay. Uh, I, I think that, you know, my experience is I, I'm, we do tech support, and I get really concerned about some of the stuff that I see. Uh, you know, I, I think that carpet cleaning machines, particularly these truck-mounted machines, are made to remove water, and they don't move a lot of air. And you know, you've got blowers on these that only move three or four hundred uh, cubic feet per minute, and then they're going to run that through a two-inch hose and then hook it up to a duct system, and it, it's just not going to work. And I'm very concerned about. Uh, I, I mean, I've seen systems that have compressors that they're selling and telling these people that these truck-mounted carpet cleaning machines are going to move the particulate. And I don't think the particulate's good for the carpet cleaning equipment, and oftentimes I don't think that that's really the right way to, uh, you know, to approach it. But uh, I appreciate your comments. What sort of training does NADCA do? If someone wants to learn how to do duct cleaning, uh, does NADCA teach this? We, we have a variety of courses and training programs available, uh, traditional classroom training, web-based training. Um, and in, in fact, we even uh, we do some hands-on training. We, we're rolling out a, a new program at our annual meeting this year where we're going to get into some of the higher function uh, restoration work, things like drain pan refurbishment and, uh, you know, repair and replacement for insulation, you know, internally lined insulation within ductwork things like that uh so we try and we try and give you know practitioners the knowledge they they need but also some hands-on experience uh using the tools actually doing the work so they can get more confident in what they're doing before they go out into the field okay. um you know i i guess i'd like to jump back real quick regarding the equipment uh even though we don't get into specific uh re equipment requirements we do, if you look in our, our ACR 2006 standard, we do require the use of negative pressure, meaning you have to put the system under, under a vacuum while you're working on it, so uh, particulate is collected, are collected, and uh, they don't get into the occupied space. Uh, and, in, and while the system is under a negative pressure, we also require the use of some type of agitation tool. So... Uh, you know, we do talk about equipment, just not not in terms of exactly which which equipment you need to use. I understand gotcha. you, and, and the process is well spelled out. And only by using certain types of equipment can you really follow the process. I guess. Right. No, I think it, your answer is fair. Yep, there's different ways to do it. Uh, some guys zone off systems. You know, if they don't have uh, uh, equipment that is powerful enough to create the the air airflow they're looking for, the level of suction, so they can remove the particulate. Um, some guys have, uh, have these trucks they use that uh, you know they can, they don't need to use those systems. So there's there's just a variety of different ways you can go about it. And again, the main thing is when you're finished, is the system clean? Gotcha. Okay, let's move to another issue because we're running low on time, and this one's really exciting. Um, NADCA has authorized some research uh you're in the middle of this big research project on um well better yet let me just have you explain real quick to the listeners uh what the project is and uh what kind of results you're seeing so far i know you're not done but um i think it ties real nicely into the big push currently for energy efficiency in buildings no question we uh Probably end of 2007, we made a decision to sponsor a quarter of a million dollar uh, research project that traces the relationship between HVAC pressure drop and energy savings. Um, you know, for the most part, we're looking at pressure drop across coils, but also at other parts of the system, uh, just because it's an easier thing to measure than airflow. It's a more consistent way to do it. This, this project, it's a multi-phase project. The first phase of the project was to develop a computer model based on information that was already available from other research that groups have done in the past. Uh, the second phase was to do some laboratory testing. 
and we're doing this with uh, Colorado University. They basically they have a phenomenal setup for this kind of thing. And uh, this is Colorado University in Boulder, and um, they've done a lot of this type of research before. These guys are pretty sharp. Uh, they have meters. They can control, you know, a whole host of environmental factors. So they can kind of see what happens to a to a system in a building uh, as you change different variables. Uh, so the the next phase is to do some field testing, and that's where we are now. We are currently running field tests on two houses, uh, and right now we're we're spending a month just tracking energy usage before any cleaning has been done. And probably within the next month or so, we'll go ahead and do the cleaning, and then we'll start monitoring the after-cleaning impact. And when this is all said and done, uh, the primary deliverable we're going to have is a, an energy savings calculator that uh, basically it'll be in the form of a spreadsheet that, uh, you know, a technician could come out, come into a building, into a home or a building, and take a couple of pressure drop readings pretty quickly and plug in the cost of energy and say, okay, you know, here's what your system's using, here's what it's supposed to be using based on the documentation uh, in terms of the design intent, and here's what we think we can save you uh, when we clean the system in terms of, you know, dollar savings for energy savings. Sounds exciting. John, how, how far, so you've got a, you're in the middle of this next phase here, and then how long do you think before we'll see some results on this? Well, um, we're doing we're doing some some field tests right now, but uh, in order to really validate our findings, we're we're looking to get uh, probably you know a number of data samples in the thousands. Uh, we're going to ask NADCA members across the country, worldwide, to collect some data samples, submit those to us, so we can crunch the numbers and really validate the results. I mean, this is a pretty serious study; it's pretty intense. Uh, I'm hoping that we'll have some of this this year, at least some pre preliminary figures for it. Uh, but at this point, I don't know how long it's going to take to get the amount of data that the researchers are looking for. You know, we've got to go to the roundup. But before we do, you and I had talked a little bit about this uh, before before the show. And, and to my knowledge, there's only one study that I could find, and maybe there's more, that, that really um, has done what you're doing. The, the closest one that I've found, and there, there are some documentation out there. You know, the, the problem is trying to trace some kind of a statement to, uh, to a, a credible source. And probably the best document we found was something published by the Department of Energy in their Federal Energy Management Program. And they traced the, uh, the energy savings for coil cleaning in particular. Uh, I, think, I think the way it reads is you could save somewhere around 30 or up to 30 percent of the energy used for running the compressor um, when you clean the coils. So that's just the energy for, for a compressor on a, uh, an air conditioning unit. And, and I should say, I have seen a couple other articles anyway, I don't know that they were necessarily uh, research papers on the same issue, where they had done uh, a building or two and then shown some savings after cleaning. So I, I want to make sure. I think actually Bob Baker may have written one of those, but I'm, I'm not 100% positive. We've got to go to the You're roundup, right. guys. Is that right? Okay, great. We've got to go to the yep. roundup. So uh, let's uh, give our roundup music. We'll bring Dr. Dieter back on. We'll go around, ask one more question, give you guys a chance to add anything we missed. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up. Move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw high. Let's bring uh, Dr. Dietrich Wild back on the line. Hello, Dieter. Do we have you? Absolutely. Dieter, any comments or questions? Uh, just a comment. Okay. And uh, it, it reminds me, every time I'm teaching some of those courses uh, with you and with Tim, and there, there is that PowerPoint slide um, which shows incorrectly installed drain pans. We just mentioned it over here. And the first time I did this, 
I felt like an idiot. And I said, you know, everybody knows how to do that the right way. <laughs> the amazing thing. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, Dieter. Every time I do that, I feel like, wow, I do was, I really it, have to go over it, this with people? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I mean, it, you know, you, it, it just doesn't make sense, you know, that, to, to explain this. And of course, you know, when you flush a toilet, you want to go have it go down, not up. <laughs> <laughs> Dieter, I also thought of you when uh, they talked about the research project because I know you've been, you know, pretty uh, adamant that we don't spend enough money on research in, in the country. And um, oh, Absolutely. I, I, you know. Joe, you know I was for 30 years in the educational business. And, hey, if you don't teach it to people, how the heck do you expect them to know it? I mean, it's as simple as that. And uh, I, I'm glad to hear that we have these courses where people can learn something, and they are not incredibly expensive. You know, you don't have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. But, uh, yeah, going back to these drain pans, I, and you know where I was. I was down south, and I inspected four buildings, and every one of them was screwed up. I mean, it was just unbelievable. In fact, I talked with Tim about it, and he said, Dieter, there come wonderful instructions with those units. And I, Tim knows who built the unit, and I know uh, who built the unit. It doesn't matter. Said so, Dieter, they give wonderful instructions on how to do it right. Why the hell don't people do it right or read the instructions? <laughs> well, Dieter, thanks again for joining us this week. We always appreciate it. And I just want to, for both of you guys, I know, Tim, you're on the board, and John, you're the executive director. I just hope any of your board members who are listening or who hears somewhere down the road that uh, we said this on IAQ Radio, I want to give those guys kudos and a pat on the back for, you know, having the kahunas to actually um, fund this research. It's not easy as a member of a board of directors to commit that type of money to research, and uh, I think your board really stepped up to the plate and did a great job in doing that. Cliff? Yeah, I guess my question just deals with whether or not NADCA recommends any special procedures for cleaning uh, an HVAC system that is either known to be contaminated by microorganisms or is in an environment that's known to be contaminated by microorganisms. Tim, you want to take that one? <laughs> well, we have our standard, and our standard does address it some. And the S520 addresses, you know, dealing with microbials, too. Uh, with HVAC systems, you're going to find, you know, if you have a microbial issue, it's going to be in the dust and the dirt. But the biggest thing where we find it is in the insulation, the fiberglass, whether it's surface or embedded into it. And then we go back to what the manufacturer recommends is what to do with that fiberglass. And that is typically? Replace it. Okay. That's what I think we were looking for there. Remove it and replace it, huh, Tim? Correct. Same thing on FlexDuck anymore. It's more economical, and you want to replace it. Okay. Gentlemen, real quick, um, I know, John, before you go, you'd like to mention two things. If you could just... uh, Give yourself a little plug on the annual meeting and also that you've got a booth and uh, at the IAQA conference. And actually, uh, Tim, I think you're manning the booth. And uh, any listeners uh, that would stop by and say hello to Tim, and I'll be hanging out there as much as I can, uh, say hi to us, please. But, uh, John, if you could put in a little something on when the annual meeting is for NADCA and where. NADCA's 2010 annual meeting is going to be held March 27 to 30. We're going to be in Tucson, Arizona at the Western Wapaloma Resort. And let me just say, it's going to be a great time. So thanks for giving me an opportunity to plug that. No problem. And before we go, we always like to uh, give you the last word. Anything you'd like to add or anything we missed? Uh, Nothing for me. I'd just like to thank you guys for having us on here. I think you guys asked some great questions. We covered a lot of ground in a short period of time. if, if anybody wants any more information, if they're at the IEQA show, they could definitely touch base with Tim. He's, he's kind of my tech support guy as far as I'm concerned. Any, anything that comes up, you know, a lot of it gets funneled to Tim. And uh, beyond that, they can call our office if they'd like uh, or visit us on the website. A lot of this uh, information is available on our website. So, again, just thanks for having us on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Tim, anything you'd like to add before we go? No, just if you got a problem with the drain pan, ask Dieter.
(laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, gentlemen. All right. Listen, uh, listeners, first, before we go, I want to make sure we uh, note that next week we're going to have an interesting gentleman, Mr. Jim White, Systems Science Consulting and uh, formerly with the Canadian Housing Housing Mortgage Corporation. Corporation. I uh, somehow have problems with that. Jim, I'm going to title that show uh, something to the effect of he who ignores history is doomed to repeat the mistakes of the past because uh, Jim is a a legend in the industry and uh, has done a lot of interesting things over the years, and I'd like to get his comments on what mistakes we are repeating before we go, I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. It's fun to work with you, Chuck. Always a pleasure, Cliff. The environment, uh, the the always uh, enjoyable environmental Ann Koalecki at the controls, another fine job. Of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Our guest today, John Schulte and Tim Hoysert. But most importantly, you, our growing group of loyal listeners, thanks so much, and thanks for the nice comments on the chat room here today. Please come back and join us again next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 